hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. As Rod Tidwell said to Jerry Maguire, show me the money. That's the topic of today's conversation. Companies need to show me the money before I even think about investing. Specifically, we're talking about free cash flow, what it is, why it's important, and how you can figure out if a company is generating copious amounts of it. I'm Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. Welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I've covered my thoughts on the broad market pretty extensively here over the last few weeks, so we'll take the week off on that part of the show. Suffice it to say, I'm optimistic that we'll end the year higher on the S&P, but I'm more concerned with the, uh, with the global markets, particularly the emerging markets. You know, global growth has slowed down. And unlike 2015, when the Fed aborted its plans to raise interest rates, the Fed seems less likely to hold off on raising rates now because the U.S. has run out of spare capacity. Unemployment's at a 48-year low, 3.75%, a 48-year low. We have more job openings than unemployed people seeking jobs, and wage growth is accelerating. And on top of that, you have a strong dollar. And that's not great for the emerging markets because oil gets more expensive for them. And there's a lot of debt that is dollar denominated. We'll also have to watch how it affects the large multinationals. Remember, 60% of the S&P 500 revenues come from overseas. And this currency headwind could start to creep in over the next several months. That's why you've seen smaller type stocks do better than their larger brethren. Smaller companies are generally more domestic in nature. I'll keep you updated, so keep listening. So, speaking of low unemployment, I like the consumer finance stocks. Now, you're asking, what do the two have to do with each other? The consumer finance stocks have been mostly range-bound for the last two years. And for the two years before that, they were the underperformers. I think that they're getting ready to, well, hopefully go higher. So what about unemployment? Well, unemployment claims are the single largest driver of underlying earnings for the group. Let me give you three points here. First, earnings in the stock performance have diverged over the last five years. They've basically broken up and have gone their separate ways. Secondly, at the same time, unemployment claims have been falling and revolving credit has been expanding at an exceptional rate. Following a lull at the end of last year, it depends. It appears to me that the growth is accelerating again. And lastly, the consumer looks to be able to expand their personal balance sheets. They aren't overburdened at this point. Typically, during periods of expanding consumer credit, we see the tightening of credit card interest rate spreads. Credit card companies lower their interest rates to compete for business. And well, the opposite has been happening. Spreads have widened from the most recent lows back in 2014. And 
According to the Fed's recent senior loan officer survey, a majority of lenders are willing extenders of credit. The upshot to all this is that the consumer finance companies should be able to grow more profitably than in the past five years. The one I like here is SYF, Synchrony Financial. Now, this stock is trading between, say, 34 or 33 and $34. And I estimate that it's trading for around 10 times this year's earnings and nine times next year's earnings. And it's paying a dividend of just less than 2%. If you remember, this used to be the former consumer lending arm of General Electric, or as I call them now, the incredible shrinking company. And that's on many levels. So I've talked about this company before. And I think that they have a really good business. They've done a good job of retaining their existing partners while adding new programs. They've had strong net interest income growth because loan receivables and purchase volumes have gone up. People are spending more and they've had to set aside less for losses because their credit profiles have gotten better. The last time I talked about SYF, and it's been a while, I've had a, I had a buy price on them at that point at $32, but I'd be a buyer here under say 33, 34. I own it, of course. Another group that I really like is the railroads. And if you're a longtime listener, you know, I've followed the railroads for the better part of 20 years. And I had someone ask me, well, why haven't you talked about them in a long time? And the reason is, well, they just haven't been cheap enough for me to buy. I mean, I love them, but I can't buy them. It's like that fancy new car. It looks great, but I just can't buy it. I can't spend that. Lucky for me, I have an old fancy car and I own a railroad. I own uh, Union Pacific, UNP specifically. Hopefully you have one in your portfolio too, because they just keep chugging along. Eh, Pun intended. If you own them, own them. These are economically sensitive businesses. And if the economy is doing well, well, then they'll do well. If we hit a recession next year or the year after and there's blood in the streets, well, that's when we'll start talking about buying them again. But as I said, if you own them, continue to own them. I think you're going to do well here. I say that because last month, the total amount spent on freight hit an all time high. We're talking about the Cash Freight Expenditures Index. That's pretty tough to say. The Cash Freight Expenditures Index. That's if you're curious. It was up an astonishing 17.3% year over year. And the year before that wasn't shabby either. Now, part of this was a function of the much improved freight volumes, but the real explosion in expenditures was largely due to higher prices. According to the report, demand is exceeding capacity in most modes of transportation by a significant amount. So there's a ton of demand and not enough supply. That means prices increase. That means, well, well, what that means is that I should probably circle back and talk about FedEx, symbol FDX, but we won't do that today. Maybe we'll do it next week. Anyhow. I think the rails have a lot of clear track in front of them. I'd keep owning them. It's time for me to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about showing you the money. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing, and we are back in just a moment. 
You've worked hard. You've saved and invested. Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off. Now's the time to start planning for that future. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. No two people have the same goals and values. We can help you craft a framework for making a lifetime of smart financial decisions that's right for you. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Call us at 301-770-5234. Well, thank you and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group, and we are talking about cash money. Just like in the movie Jerry Maguire, I'm Rod Tidwell. And you have to show me the money before I even think about investing in a company. What I'm talking about is free cash flow or what I sometimes refer to as owner's earnings. If you're a business owner, you know what I'm talking about here. This is a company's disposable cash flow. Just like you and me, we bring home a paycheck and then out of that, we have to pay the mortgage, the car payment, the electric bill and on and on. You get the idea. Well, with a company, they have earnings and they have certain capital expenditures too. They have their cost of goods and services. They have their SG&A, which is sales general and administrative. And they have to put back a certain amount of capital into the business to keep it running. If you come, if you come across a business that has consistently more depreciation expense relative to their capital expenditures, Well, you may be looking at a dying company. Anyhow, after paying all the bills and making the necessary capital expenditures, the amount that's left over is called free cash flow or those owner's earnings. It's their their disposable income. And there's only a certain number of things that they can do with this cash. They could pay down debt if they have any. They could do a merger or acquisition. They could pay a dividend. They could buy back stock. They invest in research and develop uh, development, you know, develop new products. They could do all of these. Depending on the company, it may be appropriate for them to do one or all of them. Free cash flow is one of the first things I look at when I'm looking at a business because I only want a business that's making money. If it's not making money, then I consider it a speculation. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're aware of what you're doing. Think about this. If you won the lottery and you had $5 billion and you wanted to open a bit or you wanted to own a business, what kind of business would you want to own? Hopefully you'd want to own a business that makes more money, right? Not one that you consistently have to keep putting money into to keep it going. So the importance of free cash flow should be pretty evident to you. What puzzles me sometimes is the willingness of investors to pay a high multiple for a company that's not earning any real cash. What they're doing is they're investing in a company on the belief that someday this company's earnings are basically going to explode and they're going to earn a whole bunch of money. The problem is, is that high growth businesses usually attract a lot of competitors who are chasing those same high returns, thereby reducing the returns for everybody. And we know what happens then. Understand that earnings and free cash flow are different. 
If you remember uh, Enron, you know, the so-called tremendous growth company back in the day. Well, they were showing that they were generating positive earnings. But when you actually looked, they weren't generating any free cash flow. It was a negative free cash flow number. Other names that come to mind here, you know, WorldCom, Sunbeam. If you're too young to know these names, well, there's a reason why they aren't around now because they weren't generating real owner earnings. Now, let me give you a simple way to uh, calculate free cash flow. First, you need to find the company's consolidated statement of cash flows. And it's pretty easy. The internet will help you out here. Once you find it, well, you take net income and you add back in depreciation and amortization. And you do this because the depreciation and amortization, well, they're non-cash charges. And then you minus the capital expenditures. So it's how much the business earned minus how much they need to reinvest back in the business. Net income plus depreciation and amortization minus CapEx. That'll give you a simple number for free cash flow. Now, what I like to do is use a five-year average for capital expenditures to kind of smooth it out. You know, a company may have made large investments one year, and of course, the next year, they didn't need to make those same investments again. So again, I like to use the average to smooth things out. Let me use Cisco as an example, symbol CSCO. We've talked about Cisco before. This is, it, this is a good company. It's not a great company, but it's a good company. What Cisco does, though, is they generate a ton of free cash flow. Net income last year was $9.6 billion. And they had the $2.2 billion in depreciation and amortization charge or charges. So if you put those two together, the 9.6 and the 2.2, you get $11.8 billion. And they made about a billion in capital expenditures. So You have the 11.8 minus the billion in capital expenditures gives me nearly $11 billion in free cash flow. With nearly $11 billion in cash, they paid out the $5.5 billion in dividends and they bought back over $4 billion in stock. So they're being very shareholder friendly here. If you dig deeper into the balance sheet, you'll see that they have over $11 per share in cash. That's nearly 25% of the stock price is in cash. I think Cisco, symbol CSCO, is a buy under $42. Remember, you always need to do your own research to make sure an investment is appropriate for your situation. Hey, that's about all we have time for today. Next Wednesday is the 4th of July, so we're going to skip next week but we'll be back the week after the 11th. So enjoy the fireworks, the barbecue, time with your family and friends as we celebrate celebrate the independence of the best country on earth. And remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow up. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, 
They're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.